All right, so uh, hello everyone. This is Keeper Murph. I'm here with awkward pause for Keeper Chad. Oh, <laughs> damn! Let's try that again. <laughs> Set that up and it failed. Hi guys, I'm Keeper Murph. I'm here with Keeper Chad, and we're both here to talk with uh, Brett Kramer about the upcoming issue of the Arkham Gazette. Hello. Brett, how are you doing? Good, good. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's been a while since we had you on, so we're glad we could get you back. Yeah, it's been, like, I guess, about six months since the, the first issue, real issue came out. Yeah, um, which was fantastic, by the way, for doing Thank the you. majority of it by yourself. I mean, you did a fantastic job with it. Thank you very much. Um, now, why don't we start off, tell people what the Arkham Gazette is, just in case they live under a rock, sure. being one of our listeners. Well, I have up to 700 downloads of an issue, so I know everyone on Earth has seen it. Um, right. It's, is, uh, that, is that true? Hang on. Right? Is that right? Is that is what that hey. is what the counter says. Uh, that's good. That's not bad I, at all, though, man. I'm pretty happy with it. Cool that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, considering the size of the hobby. And the... Hey, that's everybody that matters, you know? That's <laughs> right. <laughs> they all send me a dollar. We'll be all set. Oh, fuck. If they did that, you could have it bound. Yeah. Hmm, that's an interesting idea. Physical format. That would be interesting. If only yeah, there was so, some kind of crowd. Well, go ahead. Okay, be quiet. Well, <laughs> Let the man Arkham talk. Gazette. <laughs> the, the Arkham Gazette is currently an online-only magazine um, for the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game um, about uh, Lovecraft Country, the sort of setting that Chaosium put together um, in the earlier days of the hobby. Uh, Arkham, Innsmouth, um, Dunwich, Kingsport, all those places that Lovecraft created um, and that they have put source books out for back in the, the mid to late 90s, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and then the series sort of uh, has taken a long hiatus. That's Although, putting it mildly. Well, yes. But, um, I mean, they still put, you know, you'll still see scenarios set in Arkham and things, but it's, it's not, they haven't done a new book for it for quite a while. So, I've, I've um, for a time, there was some discussion of, of sort of starting the series up again uh, with, um, Miskatonic River Press, when Keith Herber started that, but with his untimely death, um, that also took hiatus. And uh, so I sort of decided on my own to resurrect the idea, since all good things in Lovecraft should be resurrected at least once or twice. Um, and I sort of did it on my own, and I've been trying to find other people to join join up. And it seems to be working. Yeah, so far. it's It's gotten very good responses. You, you uh, released uh, an issue zero, I think, last summer. Yes, so issue zero is sort of a, a mock-up I did. Um, I started doing before Miskatonic um, River Press kind of wound down its fixture RPG side, and then I decided to finish that up um, and actually put it out there, and there was enough positive response. I did a first issue, uh, issue one, the first official issue came out in November, um, and so this is issue two, um, which was supposed to come out in February, but... Now it's coming out in hopefully early, early May. So, you know, once every six months isn't terrible, considering the track record of the hobby. Um, no, not at so all. So this issue is all about Innsmouth. And originally you had put the call out for submissions to split this one way or the other, kind of left it up to the submissions, I guess, to choose between Innsmouth or, or witches in general or Salem. There, there was a vote um, I put up online. Um, and the responses were so, I think it was all but one vote tied between witchcraft or witches and uh, in that 
I couldn't really tell which way the winds were blowing, so I sort of threw it open to see which would get more submissions. And while well, I did get a couple, two um, for witchcraft, I got three for Innsmouth. So there you um, go. I went with that. <laughs> uh, so how many how many submissions outside of your content did, is in this new issue? Uh, well, if we include artists, like six. If we just have writers, it's uh, so I'm sorry, seven. With writers, it's three. I went with the original three submissions and sort of built off of those. But I have, this issue, we picked up several artists, actually, which uh, has greatly increased the beauty of the piece. Um, since the artists are far more talented than I in drawing things, as people's comments about my maps in the first issue pointed out. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, so we've got about, um, not counting the scenario for the, for the witchcraft issue, about 4,900 words turned in already. So it's, it's already got a good start on it, but. Um, obviously, it needs a little bit more to flesh out. What's your work work count on this one? Is is twenty two or four? I forget where. Um, well, the original issue, issue zero, I think, came in at twenty two with a scenario, and then the Arkham one went longer at about twenty seven. Oh. Um, in part because of a, a, a great scenario. Um, and, uh, I'm forgetting the author. Please edit ben, that ben Wenham. That's yes, Ben Wenham's excellent scenario, the Bosworth House. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, and scenario. this one, and also a very long index of all of the Arkham scenarios, this one um, is currently, as I'm right, trying to rapidly finish writing it, um, about 27,000 27, um, characters now, or words now. So hopefully it won't go too much over 30, because mostly what's left is just flushing out the outline of the scenario. Um, but it'll be the longest issue so far. Very cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and the art helps, right? I mean, that's yes. Well, uh, they're nice big visual blocks here. Yes, they're definitely, and and there's, it's appealing art. It's not just whatever photos I could dig up on. Uh, which sometimes are great, but sometimes the photos you can find on the Library of Congress or other free image resources are you know, sort of okay, but not great. Right, and certainly not very Lovecraftian. Well, sometimes <laughs> it, it is hard. I, I've been surprised at the quality of some I found, but yeah, if you were, you know, look, it's a building. Enjoy. Um, I'm enjoying some of these images. Wow! Yeah, yeah you're doing I, really I good. Some of these for the first time on page thirty. This uh, sketchy kind of, I, I guess that's a deep one. That's a great take on a deep one. I believe. Yeah, that is an, an illustration by Chris Yeah, that's yeah, a good one. Yeah, I like lovely. that one. Yeah, he provided a few uh, nice illustrations. Are very. All of the artists did it as, as all the contributors did very generously because it's for free right now. Um, but ideally, at some point, I'd like to maybe have a Kickstarter where I could, you know, pay people even if a pittance, at least a, you know, a generous pittance in future issues. I like your Fiji mermaid as well. I don't know if that's an original or if that is a. Uh, a... Um, the the first one, the one page, the one, the first image on, of the Fiji mermaid. Right. We should probably talk about the content. For the oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that one, the first one, image is I believe from Wikimedia Commons, uh -huh. and then the other two are originals by Chris Hoot. Oh, that's cool. in the same style. That's really that's cool. Really oh, good, I yeah. see. I yeah. see. I see. Yeah, thirty-six and thirty-seven. Right, right. So let's let's yeah. talk about the contents then. So Indeed. in this in this issue, you've got a um, an unbelievably famous and very very well known person at heading up the list with uh, with something called Shadows of Polynesia. Um, yeah. Who, who wrote that uh, again? I can't remember. Uh, that was by Charles Gerard. Oh, oh, that was Dr. you. Gerard. Uh, I apologize. I'm not sure if he's credited as doctor or not. I'll have to. Uh, <laughs> None of these people really are. No, 
they're not doctors, but yeah, <laughs> Charles Genetic works well. But yeah, that's that's that's, uh, that's me. And this um, is this actually practice. really, yeah, it's actually a really good article, Chad. I I read yeah, this thanks. quite a bit, and it was it was very good. I mean, you obviously have quite a bit of, um, you know, quite a bit of uh, experience in that area, or at least a, a well a wide berth of knowledge for the Southeast Asian area. I yeah. have I have been there. <laughs> yeah. The shadows, but, yeah. of, the the first article, Shadows of Polynesia, sort of fills in some of the details about. Right. The culture, the the Kanakis, which is which is a sort of a problematic name. That's what we have to work with um, for the the tribe that Obed Marsh encountered, um, and you know offers the keeper, I think, a lot of neat ideas for ways to incorporate um, elements of that culture into the, the ritual and practice of the, the deep ones and hybrid the hybrids of Innsmouth. Um, it makes it you know makes it more, um, and I think, a richer stew to sort of in a way. Um, and allows you to, you know, have sort of clues about something odd going on more than just big eyes and um, <laughs> bad smells. I particularly like the evil eye fetishes, and, and that idea in general was was really quite neat. I it's a very small part of that article, but I it really kind of. Uh, well, and I, I think it's sort of a, it's a, it's a, it offers a menu of options that yeah. the keeper can pick and choose a couple things that they think really works well. Yeah, um, and, and aside from that. you know, aside from just that, I mean, you've got Chad. You listed out what a bunch of different uh, historical things, you know, like the altar rocks, the Pacific mummies, the evil eye. Uh, but then you also hit on some strange things, like the the strange little curio things, the fish hooks, the adze, uh, the nose flute, which I thought was especially awesome. Yeah, that's real. <laughs> I know. I've seen a guy play it, and it is really. Yeah, yeah, on TV, not in person, but uh, yeah. it's quite. It's it's disarming, is what it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a little strange, but uh, and then you give stats for a lot of this stuff, and give a couple spells in there as well. So it's a really well-rounded article. I thought it was really a good uh, a good start to that issue. Well, a lot of credits. A lot of credit to the editor there. You say stats, and I have to say, I think I submitted the thing with zero stats. So oh thanks for wow! For filling I in actually, I, I, I solicited feedback from the Google Plus group for the Arkham Gazette because I wasn't entirely. I don't have the gold book for BRP, so I wasn't entirely sure what a war club or a war ads might do in damage. But I got some feed, useful feedback there, which is helpful. Those are fun discussions, actually, to, to take a moment out of your workday to discuss the damage and ads might do. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, it's also, you know, unfortunately, doing some imagery research, I, I determined that it'd be really cool to have a Polynesian war club as a decoration, but I don't have, like, the $800 necessary to buy a cheap replica. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Uh, so I'm going to throw this out there. There's a website called Therian Arms uh, that sells a um, uh, original um, imported um, medieval and ancient arms uh, imported ah. from all over the world. And you can usually get some stuff on there for really, really cheap if you're looking for an actual ad. Anyway. I don't know arms, how, how thrilled my wife would be to have a war club in the house. But... I don't know. Right. It's personal protection. That's all you have to remind her. Yeah. Uh, people. Pe <laughs> Yeah, well, ads, ads, ads don't kill people. People kill people. Right, so exactly. The same logic works for like, everything. In research, there's one specific Fijian war club that was solely, it has, it's basically a hook or sort of a pole with a pointy end on it that's basically designed to poke a hole in your opponent's skull. Right. Right. That's just, it just seems like a, they're all well, seem like a terrible way to die, but just, I mean, some guy I mean, the Europeans, the Europeans did the exact same thing, you know, with their, uh, their war clubs. They had, giant spikes on the back end so they could pierce the uh the helms of the people they were fighting so i mean it's it's a it's an ancient tradition that goes back 
ages, evidently. <laughs> Millennial can openers. Coconuts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a multi-use uh, tool. Watch out, Gilligan. Uh, yeah. Now, in this one, just like the first one, you have a, a fairly in-depth. Um, you have an in-depth discussion about the Innsmouth locations. You know some of the more prominent spots. And just like the first one, I like how you reference the location IDs um, to the well, old. You know, I mean, even if not all of the books are as easily available, since only two of them are, I think, currently available. The source books are available as PDFs. You know, I, 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 I try to make sure that the Duke Gazette is a resource for keepers primarily. It, you know, ideally it'd be nice for players too, but there's, it sort of spoils the game um, if you have too much resource for players. Right, no, um, I agree. It's, you know, it's really... It away, but, you know, with the, um, it's with the location index, it's just, you know, sort of add up, add, added on places that showed up in scenarios that people might not have access to. Um, Stop typing, Chad. Oh. You're typing very loudly. You're a key slapper. Oh, that's the nature of the keyboard. That's odd. I have to put it on uh, mute. You Sorry. Did, well, we have a mute. keystroke minder counter, so we know what you're doing. Yes. <laughs> Usually Google. No, um, you know, with, the, with the indexes, uh, places are a lot fewer for um, Innsmouth than there were for Arkham, although I left out a few for Arkham if it was just you know, blank mansion, which seems to show up in a lot of scenarios. Right. So a lot of mansions on the outskirts of town, apparently, but in Innsmouth, yeah. we only had... Um, one real location that I thought was of, of possible use to keepers, which is an old lighthouse offshore, mm-hmm. although I, I did have to make some tweaks to make the fictitious lighthouse horn, shoehorned into actual history because you know, they didn't do as much research as they might have in the original scenario. <laughs> <laughs> what are the odds? Well, you well, weren't there. I, I That's think, why. I mean, it's nothing terrible. It's not as if they have aliens building you know, the pyramids, which is just preposterous. But, um <laughs> Oh, crap. Hang on a second. Which were a kind of space lighthouse. Yes. Sorry. Um, yeah, so I, I tweaked it just enough to make it fit the history of it and then um, just let it go as, as it is. It's an interesting location. Wait, what's the what's the criticism, though? What's the deal there with the, the lighthouse? Why? Um, well, the, 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 problem? The, the original scenario had it being built in 1750, which would have made it like the third oh. lighthouse built in New England. Yeah, right. And okay. then they installed a foghorn 60 years before foghorns were invented. <laughs> I mean, they also have it full of like dynamite, practically, so you can kill the monster that shows up. But you know, sure. I've, I've omitted that detail as well. <laughs> it's made I, it a little more let, difficult. Let's just say that you wouldn't want to handle 90-year-old dynamite. No, maybe you it's, wouldn't. It's, Cases of whale oil or something bizarre that you can... I mean, it basically is stock full of ways to kill a giant monster. Which is right. for the players, but... I mean, also the light is simply abandoned. Which Nine... also would not have happened because they're so damn expensive to build and maintain. Not right. a old dynamite would, would be like the most volatile substance known to man. You know, it would I'm also pretty sure dynamite didn't exist until the 1860s. Yeah, it might have been just like... Uh, I don't even know if they had nitro back then, to be honest with you, but... I don't think so. I, I think, think it might have just been cases of whale oil, but it was does, I think, more damage than a plane, a grenade launcher, practically. <laughs> wow. Oh, well, but I mean, it's, you know, I, I can't ding the scenario too much. It's a lot easier to do research now than it would have been back when the scenario was originally written. Yeah, I mean, back then it was relying upon encyclopedias. I have to say, uh, not to make you squirm here, but I think that's my favorite thing about this whole endeavor is how kind of scholarship sensibility you bring to these things with all the references uh, as a resource. It just is very well laid out. It's uh, I just love that there are citations, uh, that there are you know page numbers to to go to. It's really 
that, that's the kind of detail that I appreciate. And I think that, you know, super nerd keepers love to, to be able to use. Yeah, I think that I, goes back to the the point of including location codes from the original Arkham books, you know, in this publication, what, 25 years, in some cases, after the fact. I think that, you know, goes a lot towards your credit there, Brett. I mean, that's a... That's well, a, I mean, if, if, you, if you've got to make a, a, a resource for people, you have to make it useful. You can't just dump material out there, especially since, you know, sometimes the, the original source material is hard to find or... You know, I don't. I've read all these books and probably read them more than most. And I can't remember where all the you know shops are in Arkham or anything. So, uh, uh, since they have location numbers, and we're trying to the goal of the that is to build off you know, what came before. It makes sense to make it as convenient to readers as possible. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so I think it's it's any you know, or or citation of source material because that's you know if if the keeper is really intrigued by the idea of. You know Polynesian magic. Then said, you know, here's give them a, a place to start, a, you know, building off of instead of just you know leaving them to do the research themselves. Since it's, it's, it takes only a little bit of time to you know throw in a bibli, you know, short bibliography seems to be the, the the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. So you also include a number of different books in the uh, in this, you know, uh, tomes, as it were. Um, yes, there's there's one sort of a wholesale cloth or whole cloth creation, which is a, an interesting idea that uh, one of our submissions, uh, which I fleshed out a bit, was um, a hymnal for the, the esoteric order of Dagon, um, which makes sense since they took over the churches in town. They have to read, presume, if they followed on the sort of Protestant tradition that they were replacing, they probably have songs. Um, and that's, you know, also provides sort of a neat clue toward the weirdness of the problem, you know, whatever's going on in Innsmouth. Um, you know, and this is something I would imagine that investigators might actually get their hands on more so than say a robe or, you know, there's not going to be a recording of an intimate church ceremony, but if you can get a hold of their prayer book, which, I mean, it doesn't quite say we worship Cthulhu in big bold letters <laughs> in the cover, right. but it certainly would say, you know, there's something odd going on here. And I think that's one of the challenges with Innsmouth is using it as a location without spoiling. I mean, most people have probably read the story, but not, you know, Innsmouth's got one big reveal. And the right. more you can sort of work to make that um, richer, a richer reveal or a more interesting reveal instead of just having fish people pop up and go, yeah, exactly. I think that strengthens the location. No, I like the yeah. fact that you mentioned that all of the hymnals are, are most likely based upon old Protestant, um, um, you know, religious songs as well. So I think that would be quite eerie if you, if you walked into one of these uh, establishments in the, you know, in the middle of the chorus or something and heard that mighty f- fortress is our fish God. Right. So. Exactly. <laughs> I really want to see like the, uh, the words written out for that. Like well, kind of, I think, I think the point there was more that the Obed Marsh wasn't a good musician. So he just took those as they often did with hymns. You know, I think when, you know, they replaced the lyrics of one hymn with a different hymn. And that's where actually a lot of um, even, you know, sort of early, you know, the gospel music became a different sort of music when you just change the lyrics. Now, there was, uh, this made me think of it. I just pulled it off the shelf. Um, Daryl Schweitzer, um, who some people might know um, from back in the day. Anyway, he wrote the uh, Innsmouth Tabernacle Choir (laughs) Hymnal um, that's got all sorts of stuff in it. Um, Like, um, we have a friend, uh, what a friend we have in Dagon. Um, an eldritch horror is our god. Uh, yes, they'll take our brains to Yugath, you know, things like that. 
Um, and he's, <laughs> he's rewritten them all with, uh, some, some illustrations, uh, to go with it. Uh, it it's quite nice. So that would, that would be a nice addition. If somebody wanted to do the, uh, the hymn book, you could incorporate some <laughs> of that content. But anyway, yeah, that would be, uh, I, I would be afraid of the next Necronomicon if we have a full performance of the, uh, <laughs> the esoteric order of Tabernacle choir. Oh, oh Lordy. Wouldn't it be great? Lordy. With children, maybe you could go. Get oh, them. we could do a child's <laughs> choir. Oh my God, <laughs> we could. Yeah. Let's see no if we can. Strati, please. Yes, <laughs> they uh, probably wouldn't let us into the First Baptist. No, no, but you know what? They might be able to get away with give me that old one religion, ex- until uh, until they get to the second verse where it goes. It was good for Wizard Waitley, though we haven't seen him lately. Much less fun for poor old Akeley, but it's good enough for me. <laughs> anyway. Um, so the other book you have in here is the Punap scripture. Can you give yes. us a little bit about what you changed or what you added, or did you just collate, collate a lot of different uh, versions and information across the many different books that, well, that mentioned got, I mean, this into the, one the, spot? The, the, the Punap, I'm not quite sure. It's I don't know how to say it either. Um, a book Lynn Carter created um, in his, um, I guess it's sort of a connected series that Chaosium publishes, the Zothic Cycle. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I think the first person to incorporate that into the game is Kevin Roth, so it shows up a bit in the original uh, Kingsport and Innsmouth um, books. Um, and it's basically, uh, you know, sort of a religious text that was found by a, a Yankee seaman and brought back to New England and translated. And it sort of boils down to a, a religious text for the cult of Cthulhu, um, although it's, it's sort of veiled in its references. Um, and, you know... Uh, you know, the, the original story, Carter's original stories are probably not the best mythos fiction out there, but I've always found that it's, it's better. Instead of, it, it's always good to try to take the strongest elements from something instead of just dumping it and saying it doesn't work. Um, you know, even, I, I may not love every single mythos story I read, but, you know, if there's some germ of a good idea, you can build off of it. Um, and so I, I used sort of as the basic, you know, I, I did the sort of standard, what, what I call the standard tome write-up, which is, uh, Something I developed in the massive Nyarlath Hotep Companion, which is writing, you know, a, a summary of what the reader might get out of it by skimming and, and then reading more deeply, and then, you know, whatever they might find researching it. So the tomes, you know, one of the problems, as I said before, one of the problems I think with tomes in the game is often they're presented as, you know, kind of a crummy treasure. You have a couple bad spells, useless spells you can learn, or you can read it for 11 months and lose 24 points of sanity, and that's it. There's no real, you know, there's, there's no rhyme or reason to them. Um, and they're not, you know, they don't provide they don't provide any useful information beyond increasing your mythos skill and then maybe a spell or two for the scenario in question. So in trying to provide background information and research, you know, try to build connect it to the world, but also in the case of the Panap scriptures, connect it to Innsmouth. Um, why, you know, why does it show up in the Innsmouth? The, the book escaped from Innsmouth in a couple locations. So I theorized that, you know, the early members of the Church of the Esoteric Order of Dagon were looking for information and they found this close to home this this sort of insane polynesian ritual magic book close to home and they incorporated some of its elements yeah. um, into the into their worship and then as they you know as the hybrids took over the church they sort of didn't really need to go secondhand for this information anymore right um you know but you've got and then i like the, the idea of different editions being available and you know i mean you know, every mythos tome is supposedly you know the one, only one copy in the world but 17 show up in scenarios so we try to look at why you know, copies might be out there or, 
you know, who may have a copy. And that's all the who, you know, like where I list who has possession of it's all based on the, um, the pre-existing Lovecraft Country source material. Um, so how did you, itself. how did you track that down? Uh, as far as references in, in different scenarios? Uh, well, uh, this, uh, the part, most of the work was already done by Brian Sammons in the Keeper's Companion, um, I want to say Keeper's Companion 2, maybe 1, um, where there's an index of um, the tomes. Um, it's not complete. It only goes up to like 2004. Um, so it's possible I've missed something. Uh, most of the locate, most of the appearances actually show up um, in Lovecraft Country itself, so that was easy because you can just look through the indexes of Kingsport and Innsmouth mm. um, and then see where it showed up. Um, also, the Miskatonic University source book is, is useful. And then, you know, I sort of, I don't have an official list of, of, of where it appears, but if, if my memory reminded me, I, I double-checked, it doesn't show up. The Ponap Scriptures doesn't show up in a lot of scenarios. It, there's a, a quotation from it in... Um, the spawn of Azathoth that I didn't find particularly useful, so I admitted it. And I think it shows up in a the triad, um, triad entertainment scenario, like the caller in the desert, where some random, you know, deep one flunky has a copy on hand. But that didn't seem particularly useful either, so I also neglect. I omitted that as well. Did you make any changes to the main book itself, or did you try to keep it, or 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 did you well, average I, it out I, between the different major changes places? I made? I mean, I, I, the quote I have is, is directly from the story. Right. I tweaked a little bit to try to make it sound more like the description of it, um, because the, the description of it says it's sort of a religious text, and the quotation is more bad Lovecraft pastiche. Um, <laughs> but you know, I mostly just changed it um, to sort of the structure, of the, the order of the, of the way the sort of information was presented was more as a religious instruction rather than just I'm going to drop a bunch of multi-syllabic names. Um, and then um, some of the, I've suggested a few possible different spells, but most of it's from the original material. I mean, you know, or, or it's been based off it because I, you know, you start with, you know, the fiction. You look at what they've talked about. They say about it in Keeper's Companion, which has some information. Um, one really useful book that I have for some tomes um, is a book put out by Necronomicon Press a while ago now, and it's out of print, but they say they still have a few in, in hand of called the um, Ex Libris Mis Miskatoniki, which is supposedly a catalog, supposedly a catalog of uh, Miskatonic University's rare book room, and that has a lot of sort of neat, you know, information on like book sizes and you know, histories of tomes and things. And has a short entry for the Pontiff Scriptures, um, and then. Um, I actually crap, dug, I need to... Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. I'm I start so hitting want... up some people. <laughs> Contact Necronomicon Press. They, yeah. they said, when I was at Necronomicon, they said they still had a couple, and they're probably going to reprint it at some point now that they've restarted. Um, and there's an article Kevin Ross did for the second issue of The Unspeakable Earth, I think, called Fish Books, on which talked yeah. about pretty much every mythos tome dealing with the deep ones. Great. Yeah, I didn't even know oh, that was nice. That's the original run of Unspeakable Earth, or...? Uh, yeah, issue number two. Okay. So, you know, go out to your gaming store and not find it somewhere. But, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so, and, and for people and also, who don't... And also, of course, the Encyclopedia Cthulhu, or whatever it's called. Cthulhu Mythos Encyclopedia. Right. Yeah. Uh, Dan Harms is also a, a very useful resource in that, too. Uh, and, and just to reiterate, if, if you're not familiar yeah. with your... If the listeners aren't familiar with Dan's uh, version of a tome write-up, uh, we're talking 10 pages of solid info 
regarding one of the more obscure texts in Lovecraft Country. You know what I mean? This is not a, a, a very pivotal work. Uh, it is kind of important in game terms because of the deep ones tie in. But you're, I mean, you have more info on the Panap uh, scriptures than I think I've ever seen in one location ever before. I, I, I took the bones from other places and sort of built some, built some. If, if we when we talk about the Fiji mermaid, I kind of made a Fiji mermaid out of it. I, you know, I took the bits and pieces from elsewhere and with a little bit of paper mache and wire, uh, <laughs> something larger. That's funny. Um, so moving on, you've got yeah. um, you've got a, a background. You call it a deep background um, on Devil's Reef or Double Reef, however mm. you want to uh, describe. Oh yeah, the uh, discussion that. Right. That's more of a, a weird little thing I've been thinking about for a while when I read the stories that, you know, there, when you actually look at the ocean, oceanographic maps offshore, there, I mean, there isn't uh, a marine abyss beyond Devil's Reef. If, you know, if we put, if we put Innsmouth where Lovecraft suggested it is, which is roughly, you know, south of Plum Island on the shoreline there, you know, there's a shallow ocean going out for 30 or 40 miles. Um, so I just suggested a few locations of keepers really wanted to get into it where they could conceivably stick Yanafile. Um, I think I got that pronounced correctly. At least as best my human tongue can. Well done. Um, and you know there are a couple basins and deep spots offshore that you could probably hide a deep one city more plausibly. Um, and then of course there's the problem of um, now I will mispronounce her name badly. Uh, oh, I'm actually looking at her. Um, wait, wait, I didn't get that. Can no, you no. say that? One more time. Times? Yeah. <laughs> Trying to enunciate properly. Um, she says she's, what, 100,000 years old or something? Uh, or 80,000 years old? And, you know, 80,000 years ago, the, the ocean levels were different. There was a glacier that had come and gone a couple times. And most of the, the shore off Massachusetts was either above water, you know, down to like 120 meters, sea levels were lower. Um, so you, you've got to be careful where you pick your deep one city because it may have been on the shore at that point. And most of those features, underwater features, are like glacial deposits. Like all of Cape Cod is basically a sandbank dumped by the last glacier. So, you know, for the, for the truly historically and geolog geologically minded, I put in some nitpicky notes that if you really want to try to make it more vaguely plausible for deep sea monsters to live. We can do that. Nice. It's nerdy, I admit. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's good nerdy, you know. This is written for nerds. It I mean, really is. Let's <laughs> let's be serious. You know, the people who nerds, are nerds. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it, it right. No kidding. Then you have a, a write up on. I'm assuming, and I might be completely off base, but I think this is an original creation of yours. Uh, the Edward S. Morse zoologist and orientalist. Um, uh, he is a real person. That was a submission. Um, really? Yes, that was a submission by um, Nicholas Brzezinski, um, who was one of our. He's a real person. He's a, he, although he unfortunately dies in 1920. Um, he's the sort of person, if you needed an expert on Asia and deep sea life, he was a real guy in New England. Very cool. I didn't realize that. I didn't do yes. the research on that either, though, so it doesn't surprise me. Um, well, <laughs> that's why I have an actual, you. factual person. Um, and, you know, it's either, especially in a Gaslight game or if you, you know, want to stretch his life out a little longer, he's an expert on Japanese uh, pottery and shells. So he seemed like a sort of perfect person to run into when digging around in 
Very cool. Yeah, exactly. He was also a self-taught expert who could learn a language in several months. So he's he's much like the um. I'm trying to think who it was from the earlier issue. There was another actual person we talked about who I cannot remember now from an earlier issue. Not your sure, not your salesman. That guy's fake, right? <laughs> uh, the the one who's a deep uh, amigo assassin. No, he's right. yeah. Tell me he's fake. <laughs> yeah. Although that picture is real. That is a real picture I found. On the, um, the uh, Library of Congress website, that creepy, creepy-looking guy. Yeah, nice. That was a good find. So then you jump into something called the Fiji Mermaid, which I think everybody is familiar with, at least on a passing level, to know what it is, at least. Yeah, there's, there's um, an episode of uh, the uh, X Files that one yeah. goes up there, and I think the, I only know this through Wikipedia, but I believe someone gets murdered and turned into one in a house of a thousand corpses. So. <laughs> which I've somehow missed. Um, but yeah, the Fiji mermaid I thought was an interesting, it was, you know, something that is a, a, a humbug is as PT Barnum would call it a fake that was exhibited, um, in the mid 19th century. Um, and I talked a little bit about, you know, since it's connected to new England, since it originally came to the U S through Boston was exhibited in Boston for many years. Um, and also New York sort of bounced back and forth and was supposedly come from the South seas. I figured why not, you know, include, this fakery, um, you got a, a mer creature supposedly from the South Pacific in New England in the 1900s. Why not include it? Um, and so I, I, I actually learned a lot more about it. How you know the, the sort of Japanese religious tradition that created them all, which is interesting. Um, really, the fact that they were you know used as sort of something halfway between a carnival and a, a religious service. Um, and I did not know their magical powers of so the Ningyo, the Japanese creature they're supposed to be, which is also sadly neglected, is not mentioned in uh, Secrets of Japan, unfortunately. Mm. I could not draw the connection there because they all they have are the Kappa. Huh. Again, I think it might have been just time period on research levels might have been the thing with that. It's so much easier to research this kind of stuff nowadays yes, than it, it was is. back in the day. Well, I mean, the Secrets of Japan came out like 2002, but still, I agree. Well, I mean, even so, even still, it is. It is much easier, which is great for us. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, and then you have another, what you call another deep background article on uh, Innsmouth Gold, and, yes. which I thought was pretty cool as well, um, just because it, um, you know, it, you kind of take into effect your your previous. Um, locations where you thought Yathlana, uh, however you say that name, it might have been, yeah. So it, you kind of brought that into it as well and where they're exhibited. And, and it's a really interesting, um, an interesting uh, article, especially bringing in, you know, like the jewelers and, um, you know, stuff like that. It's it very interesting. I thought it was really cool. Thanks. I mean, part of it is I, when I, when I game, my, my players tend to be super cautious and they don't just drive into downtown, you know, they don't drive into the center of Innsmouth and start, you know, beating up people to get answers. They tend to do a lot of digging beforehand. And so I imagine, you know, what would a keeper do if the players hear rumors of Innsmouth gold, but, you know, don't never want to go to Innsmouth. So this is an extension of, of some of the stuff that Kevin Ross talked about in the early section of uh, Escape from Innsmouth, um, so, and the, which is in turn based on what Lovecraft said about, you know, some pieces being exhibited. Um, in Newburyport and then at the uh, Miskatonic University Museum. Um, and then also if, uh, a careful reading of um, the Lovecraft Country books, I spotted two other places where you can get pieces of Innsmouth gold outside of those two. Um, so, you know, I added all those in. And then 
you know, it was also stemmed from a bit from a discussion on yogsofthealth.com about what, you know, the chemical properties of it were, which was, uh, you know, my, my interpretation based on, you know, a mediocre understanding of chemistry, um, and a little bit about deep sea gold nodules where they are common in magnesium and manganese, or manganese, which produces actually a whitish gold alloy, which is where I decided the whitish gold quality of the deep one gold came from. So it's all from there. Cool. But it's actually mixed with gold, is the idea? Oh, I mean, you could, you could, there are a lot of different gold alloys you can make that affect the color. White gold, I think, is, uh, what is that? Nickel. It's nickel, primarily. Red gold is okay. copper. There, there are whole, there's actually a wonderful table on Wikipedia about what sort of, you know, chunk percentage of the material should be gold to make it different colors. But you can do a green gold and a whitish gold. And, um, and that's all based on the ratio of gold to other metals. So, I think with manganese or something, or is it magnesium? I think manganese, it makes a whitish gold. And since manganese is very common in the seafloor around sea vents, I think, um, and in those nodules you can find deep sea fishing or deep sea mining operations which they're trying to get started on. I sort of went with, I built off of, extrapolated from that. Cool. Is, wasn't manganese used as an excuse in that submarine? Uh, the, the uh, Americans tried to recover part of a submarine, uh, Russian submarine, and they used yes. yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, they were manganese mining or something, and almost flipped over their support the vessel. The uh, whatever the, the the one Howard Hughes built this pick up right. the Soviet sub, the was it the um, A seventeen or something? Yeah, that was, that yes, was and that of course sub. also if, if and if you've read um, Deep Star, maybe was the mine. If you've read any of the Charlie Strauss. Um, Laundry novels that actually shows up. Yep. Oh, is that right? Yeah, it does. As well. So, yeah, I have a lot of sources for my manganese, I guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's good. It was a good. It was a good article, actually. I really enjoyed it. Um, and then the then we get to the first um, scenario that you included, which was drawn from the waters. Yes. I, I had someone send me an outline for a scenario, but never the scenario. So I've sort of found myself in the need for a scenario late in the process. Um, hopefully that one can be completed at some point, the other scenario completed in the future, and then we can find something else to do with it. Um, but this was, I you know, looked for some inspiration, and I found it in actually Lynn Carter, um, his, his stories about, um, I don't want to give it away too much, but some of his creatures, I should say, show up. And I hope an interesting way that is, um, you know, the difficulty with deep one scenario, or intimate scenarios. Am I kicked out again? No, you're still nope. here. I hear you. Okay. It's, this gave me a crash report, so... Um, the difficulty with these, you know, in the scenarios is they always tend, it's kind of hard to, you don't want to give away the game in the scenario, but it's also hard to come back to Innsmouth once you find out the town's secret. So I tried to write one that you could, you know, even if you'd blown, you know, Innsmouth had blown up in your face, you could possibly go back to, but also wouldn't ruin things if you hadn't, so. Very cool. I like to use uh, Falcon Point as well. It's one of my. Yes, I, I, I think that, that's been used, I think, in one other scenario, so I felt it was not overdone yet. Unlike you know, Arkham, which has got tons and tons. Right. Tons and tons and tons of stuff. Um, no, I like Falcon Point because it's actually the, where all the sane people from Innsmouth went. Um, saner. Saner, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and that's, that's actually um, a Durlith creation, so, you know. One of the yeah, one of those few Durlith things that I actually applaud him for. It was a cool little add-on there. Uh, um, and then after that, you get into um, your bibliography of the uh, yes. Innsmouth and Deep One scenarios, which is is quite impressive in its own right. Oh, that's great. 
much much really shorter cool. than Arkham's, thankfully. Yeah, but still, it's sure. it's quite a bit of information there, just in general. And yeah, I, I hopefully you can build up a, a slowly a sort of an annotated bibliography for keepers, so they can use Lovecraft Country as efficiently as possible. If you if you need a scenario that has you know witches in it, this is these are five scenarios they could have built it off of. Or you know, I want scenarios set in you know Bolton or something like that. There's mm-hmm. one, but um, uh, you know, it's it's good to have, I think it's useful to have. I know when I, I ran a Lovecraft Country game about a decade ago, and you know, I spent a long time sort of flipping through the books and making a little list of where scenarios were. And it's a lot easier to find that now since you can sort of find a lot of it on the Og Wiki and other places. But um, you know, it's just it's it's a resource that I wanted to have as a keeper. So I, if 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 I want something, I generally found I should make it first and then get other people to help me finish it. And yeah, there's, this is a priceless resource. It really is. There's two things I missed, one on purpose, but the one thing I didn't mean to miss is the arcane etymology, uh, the notes on the name of Dagon, which is a really uh, cool uh, article about you know the history of Dagon in general, um, where he dates from, and, and how he kind of gotten morphed into what he is today in our Cthulhu mythos, at least. Yeah, I felt, you know, something that always kind of bugs me is that you know, Lovecraft went out of his way to use history as a, as a way to build the horror. By making building in, you know, there's a, there's a level of reality there that, you know, then you, if you make the place feel real, it's a lot scarier when the ghosts show up rather than just, you know, it's a generic Scooby-Doo spooky mansion. Um, and I've noticed that uh, people sometimes don't realize when there's a real world thing being used in the horror, or you know, if they have like deep ones croaking Dagon somewhere else, when they they wouldn't. It's just it, it ruins for at least it, for me it ruins my suspension of disbelief um, because you know, Dagon is a is a term we, that shows up in the Bible. It's not, you know, this this is almost certainly not the creature's name if there's just one of them, or if there's more than one, they don't call themselves Dagon, um, unless they're really ticked off and doing Yosemite Sam accents or imitations. But um, so you know, just it's I think the background is a useful thing to have. You know, why would you know why do the Innsmouthers call this thing Dagon? What was Lovecraft trying to suggest about their religious practices? You know, by having them label their god or whatever they're worshiping the esoteric order of Dagon. You know, and I think he's, you know, building off of a, an older, you know, Puritan tradition of Dagon being shorthand for idolatry. So, you know, I think there's a, there's a deeper, you know, things to understand. You know, Zadok Allen. Zadok was one of the high priests of the Temple of Jerusalem and, you know, an outspoken foe of idolatry. And, you know, why is he quoting the book of Daniel? You know, I thought when I was first read the story, I'm not being a person too well read in the book of Daniel didn't recognize that as, you know, a prophecy or a, you know, a biblical quotation. I thought it was, you know, gibberish, infamous, done, you know, deep one speech, but it's not. It's actually, you know, uh, I think Hebrew, so. Many meshel tekel upum or something like that, which is my terrible pronunciation. I like the accent. I'll, I'll defer to yours. We're going to get so much mail from Hebrew scholars now. Oh, oh my come God. On. That's not funny. I don't want to deal with Hebrew scholars. They're uh, they're mean. No, not really. Um, and now the last one is is what I think is, it might be the biggest article in the book, and that's not surprising uh, given what your personal background is and your joy of, of all things cemetery-ish. Uh, is the deep background for the Innsmouth Cemeteries, which is a fantastic article, which you go into just Thank ridiculous you. amounts of detail for. 
Well, you know, I mean, I think one of the one of the great merits of the the Lovecraft Country series is the authors did a lot of research and made it very mostly very realistic. Um, and so all I really had to do was extrapolate and expand on what Kevin Ross created with um, based. You know, th- th- that was really his whole a whole plot creation. Lovecraft never mentions distance with cemeteries beyond saying that the deep ones like to pretend, or the hybrids like to pretend. You know, have attend their own funerals basically. Um, <laughs> so cool. I love that. You know, and I, I was very fortunate to get some really fantastic um, tombstone illustrations in that article that are based on, but not exactly copies of actual gravestones from the region. Um, and you know, it's, it's it's it allowed me to nerd out about old cemeteries, and that's always fun. Although the, all the material about uh, zinc tombstones is true, and I just sort of imagine that the deep ones, when they didn't have a person to carve them, would be happy to order them through a catalog. <laughs> that's funny. You know, that, that the whole article, you know, is based on real, real world history, but extrapolating how it might have played out in Innsmouth, should that place have actually been real. So, and I just, you know, it allows a greater depth of, of location, I think. And did you model? Did you pick particular cemeteries that exist as models? Then, uh, well, I mean, all but one of them was was something that Kevin Ross included in Escape from Innsmouth, um, mm-hmm. and some of them, I mean, were you know, sort of the. Um, Issue, you know, a lot of some of the issues that he established, you know, I sort of carried over, like the broken steeple falling into the one burying ground. Um, and some of the history was just, you know, sort of extrapolated. You know, there's original Innsmouth originally had one cemetery that was used for about a century, and you know, there you really can't have a lot of deep one stuff going on because they haven't met the deep ones yet. But um, you know, it was still overcrowded, so I, you know, I modeled it after. I'm trying to think of a real world analog. Um, there, there's no specific modeling I did to sort of general. Um, you know, 19th, 17th century versus 19th century burying ground versus, you know, um, garden cemetery. The um, the last one, the Southwoods Memorial Cemetery, was, you know, an attempt to do that sort of Mount Auburn-style garden cemetery with, you know, shrubs and, and ornamental statues and things. And unfortunately, you know, five years after they opened it, the town has a giant massacre. So, mm. you know, they just dump all the bodies across the street. And the town place becomes, you know, a, a creepy dump. Um, but you still have, you know, some nice... You know, family tombs and things, but it was built, you know, built on a swampy location, so it's marshy. And, you know, it's just a nice location to have an encounter in a, in a scenario. The only one I came up with out of whole cloth was the, the Falcon Point Cemetery. I just figured that the folks at Falcon Point might not want to be buried where everyone else was. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. That or they send them to the sea like the Vikings or some craziness. I, knowing if, if they have an idea of what's offshore, I can't imagine they throw them in the water. <laughs> that's, that's a good point, too. <laughs> Sky burial, perhaps, like sky the, burial. Uh, or asteroids, or uh, yeah, maybe like the Buddhists, and they they chop them up. Vulture. Yep, do the yeah. vulture scenario there, and that's always fun. Yeah, so that was that was a lot of fun to, to work on. Getting those illustrations from uh, Galen was really awesome because they he just really fit the bill. Yeah, yeah, nice. They work very well in black and white. Very. Uh... Yeah, I'd like to some at some point in a future project. I'd like to do for the for the for Sentinel Hill Press my one man name of my what I refer to myself in the third person as um, would be a, a guidebook for Lovecraft Country Cemetery in general, and just you know with more background information about burying grounds and how they operated and how they changed over time. You know, I mean, it, it, since there are so many scenarios where you can show up in a cemetery or something shows up there, or you know, it may play somehow as a location. Um, you know, they're, they're central in several of the scenarios and, and also important locations in some of the books, not just for ghouls but other creatures. Um, 
um, especially once the 60 stone press has a Ghouls book in the works, um, which I think would complement it in, sure. a, in many ways. So that's that's a down the road project, but I figured I could do a sample of it and include it in this this book, and I was very happy with how it turned out. And I'm glad you guys liked it. Yeah, that'd be great. It's you can use cemeteries in a way as a kind of library, right? You could go and oh yeah. And, glean a lot of uh, facts and research just based on stone readings. Yeah, I mean, and, and people and people have done that too. But you know, you can infer a lot about Innsmouth by just looking at the burying dates on half the tombstones in the center. Right, right, right. You know, eighteen forty-six, or you know, why well, why certain people in say you know a cemetery in Arkham have a mark on their stone, or you know, why are they buried in this cemetery versus another one? You know, and Kingsport, for example, has you know. Some, ish, some information you can glean if you carefully examine the, the stones there. Exactly. Yeah. And in real life, you can you know figure out outbreak yes. dates from. No, it's it's deeply depressing going through a cemetery and looking at all the, like these you know six year olds. Exactly. Riding, you know the root. What was it called? Like you know the red flux or some horrible. <laughs> yeah. Scarlet fever and whatnot. Yes, and they and they have those picturesque names. Although often they do just say died of smallpox. Right. Right. You know, and Arkham itself has, you know, they had issues with, um, what was that, the yellow fever outbreak in 1805, I think, you know. If I ever get to Arkham that way, I'm sure it'll include something about that. And, uh, this, yeah, we would, if you ever get to Arkham that way? <laughs> if I, if it's just, uh, we'll talk about it cemetery. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, but I've got, I've got a rough outline of that project, and that's, Something that you know, if, if and when I do a Kickstarter, I may include as a, a you know a long-term mm. stretch goal. But since it's a pretty much a one-person operation, I don't want to offer would, wouldn't want to offer too much since I don't want to have things delayed indefinitely, as too many Kickstarters have been, unfortunately. Right. Yeah, I agree. Well, is there anything else you want to bring up, Brad, about the issue that's coming out? Um, well, I, I, in more general terms, I, I, I definitely hope that at some point Chaos reprints the Innsmouth book. Um, oh, yeah. I know with seven editions still in the wings, that I know there's been some talk about maybe reprinting some older books, and they've been asking about what books they want to reprint. So I'm going to throw my vote in for seeing Innsmouth and um, Kingsport both getting a, a newer version, although Kingsport at least was reprinted more recently. I don't think it's available as a PDF, though. Um, no, and apparently even the new edition is kind of difficult to get a hold of. Yeah, which is it's just frustrating because it's a great location. Um, I'm, I'm, I think our next official issue is going to be the Witchcraft one since I already have submissions for it, but I'm open to submissions on you know, pretty much anything. If you've got a Lovecraft Country idea, we, can, we don't always have to have a thematic issue. Right. Um, I'm open to doing a, a catch-all or grab bag. Um, and I'm, I, I will say I'd like submissions, and submissions would be nice. Yeah, I mean, we have contact with lots of people who who like to write and like to think about these kinds of things from our forums, and I'm sure we can draw some talent in for you. And yeah. you already have. I, I, I do appreciate you guys getting the word out about the, the Gazette and getting some people to get in touch. Um, I definitely always get a little bit of a spike in downloads when your episodes come out. Um, and, you know, I look forward to working on issue number three and four and whatever comes down the road after that. Well, we're glad you're doing it. Somebody needs to, and it, it tickles me pink that you're the one doing it because it's such a high quality. Uh, the fact that you're doing Thank it on you your own is is just mind-boggling. You can tell it's a labor of love just on that alone. <laughs> yes, I think I will. I will be. I will take a little break after this one comes out and get 
he was few like I haven't played a video game in quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fact that you can recall off the top of your head the, the year the yellow fever outbreak happened in Arkham is pretty impressive on its own, right? But well, I have to use my history. I, I have a degree, two degrees in history. I should use them for something. <laughs> even if it's fiction. <laughs> Why not use them for games? Yeah, right even on. historical fiction. Yeah. You know, we still can use it. Well, I get things wrong too, and I, I still it's it's great to have a, a bookshelf full of books I can turn to to help rem- help me remember things. So, you know, definitely, um, you know, if you're if you are looking to write for the Arkham Gazette, you don't need to be a history expert. You don't need to you know, be a frustrated historian. Um, you know, I'm always happy to suggest topics or do a little research help. I won't, I don't want to, you know, send you a bibliography and say, go for it. But, you know, if you have an idea, but aren't sure how to flesh it out, or, you know, if you have a, this, you know, something you want to use from a scenario you vaguely remember, I'm, I'm more than happy to, you know, try to point people in the right direction and be a resource. I don't expect, you know, uh, if, if, or if you've never had something published before, I, I hope I come across as a friendly editor um, and not, too much of a bear. Yeah, I think a lot of people might be um, nervous because they've not put anything in print before, and so they're they're nervous about the rejection process or or the the acceptance process yeah, in general. Let's just say my rejection rates are very low. <laughs> <laughs> but what's but at the same time, not that there's really I have not been sent a lot of bad stuff. I have to you know, get rid of. It's, it's usually people have a good idea and they're just not sure how to proceed with it or. You know, they have a, the, the germ of something, but aren't sure how it fit into the, the overall setting. Right. You know, I think, you know, since there is no real, there's no um, sort of catch-all Cthulhu magazine out there. You know, The Unspeakable Loaf is awesome, but it's modern, mostly Delta Green, and, you know, that's that means there's sort of, there's nothing really for the classic era. I mean, if someone wants to do a, a Gaslight magazine, more power to you. It's not my specialty. It's not my where my, you know, my, my knowledge base lies, but I'd love to see it. Um, you know, if 60 Stone, whenever they get their Colonial Cthulhu out, I'd be more than happy to, you know, turn the Arkham Gazette. I could, you know, do a Colonial special or something. But until that, that point, great. I'm going to focus on the 20s. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's sort of the default location, and I think that's good, a good thing, you know. Yeah, I, like I think it. it's it's nice to have a base, a spot where keepers can, you know, work from with, that, with a little help, a little structure. Thank you once again, Brett Kramer, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Um, Thank you. So, thanks, guys. We'll see you later. I guess that's my ending. There you go. Go pods. Go pods. High class. Yeah, go pods. Yay.